This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Thursday, April 20th. Yeah, next Thursday. It's coming up. And 420, mark that on your calendar because in the afternoon, you will be able to see that giant puff of smoke rise above the city of Vancouver. Now, preparations are underway for 420 again this year. And it again has me wondering why all this is still relevant. This country has legalized cannabis. It's available legally all over the place. But there are different uh, views on that. And part of the celebration is, in fact, a protest where you actually hear speeches by those still not happy with the government. But what can we expect? Well, Neil Magnuson is one of a couple different organizers organizing different events for 420. And we had a chance to catch up with him and ask him, where is 420 this year? Uh, Thornton Beach is where the official 420 is. We can expect a very uh, epic return of 420. Uh, we're the same organizing group for, for the most part, although cannabis culture can't be involved at this point because they're going for uh, legal status. But uh, the same group that's been putting it on for the last 25 years. Uh, this year we're going to have Mercules uh, headline the, the show. Uh, there's Prada and other great acts as well. We're going to have the world's biggest uh, joint rolled and, uh, and ignited on site. Uh, we're going to have uh, the world's biggest hot box uh, set up there as well. And it should be, uh, you know, a great event. The weather uh, always plays a role. And if it's a rainy day, then I, put, I think that'll put a bit of a damper on things. But uh, if it's a sunny day, I think we're expecting to have uh, a large amount of people come and, and join us. And we expect nobody to turn up at the art gallery or even more likely Sunset Beach, right? Oh, I don't know about that. There, there's a, another competing group of people, a, a person in charge of that, that we do not support. And he's putting on an event at Sunset Beach, he says, anyway. Uh, you know, the city doesn't like that idea, and maybe they'll stop him from doing that. I don't know. But, uh, yes, there is a, a, a another 420 event going on at the beach. Well, you see those clouds, the dark clouds starting to rise already. So what about uh, the park board and police? Um, you know, I've reached out to both the Parks Board and the city without success. I sent an uh, email to Mayor Sim yesterday, and or, to, or Monday, rather. So, you know, I don't know. We haven't had our usual discussions with the city. Uh, we will uh, do our best to make the city proud, to have a safe event, to leave the park cleaner than we, we find it, which is always the case. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not sure what rules there are to follow, really. They won't give us a permit, of course. What about cleanup afterwards? Uh, going to be a lot of we garbage. We always look after that. What about yeah, security? We always look after that. Despite what some of the media reports have been over the years, uh, we have always had a crew of people looking after that, and uh, we try to make sure we, we leave it cleaner than we find it. In fact, uh, we do a sweep before the event 
to make sure that there's no needles or, or issues in the park as well. So we do take care of the parks as best we can. And policing, you don't have to pay any of that cost, right? We haven't paid for policing. We do have our own security on site. I have had a couple conversations with some uh, sergeants of the VPD, but uh, only informally. Uh, they are aware of our event for sure. Okay, that's Neil Magnuson. Now, he's talking about the event at Thornton Park. The Vancouver Park Board seems to be a little bit more concerned, getting word that Sunset Beach, which has traditionally been the venue, especially after people decided the art gallery was not going to be the big place to gather. But Sunset Beach, um, well, there are no permits in place. Nothing has been approved But the Vancouver Park Board has issued a bit of a statement, and we got a copy of it. It says, this from the Park Board, We are aware that a planned cannabis protest event will be held at Sunset Beach on April 20th. The Park Board has not allowed this event as organizers have failed to meet the special events permitting terms and conditions. And those include, but are not limited to, liability insurance, permit fees, adequate ground protection, and safety traffic management plans. All those things are really expensive. Remember all the events around Vancouver, the ones like uh, music events that have been cancelled or delayed or rethought or reorganized because of uh, some of those fees and expenses? Yeah, makes you wonder. And what about, getting back to my original idea that, um, you know, you can legally smoke and eat cannabis cannabis right now. You can find it all over the place. And new shops are opening up all the time, both government ones and the private ones. So why protest? Well, here's what Neil Magnuson says. It's the same as prohibition always was. And the vast majority of the people that have been been taking part in our protests and the big the big part of our protests what we actually do to protest is we sell cannabis we have vendors come and set up a cannabis marketplace that demonstrates the safety of having such a marketplace and the way that it should be operated and and all of those people for the most part that have been taking part over all these years are still deemed as criminals by by the canadian government uh, you know using the criminal law against people that are simply growing plants and providing what is a medicinal herb the people that use it to better their lives is, is really something to protest for sure. Spring is here and summer is in fact on the way. We know that, we trust it. And while we on the West Coast can barbecue all year long, yes, I have done it on Boxing Day, it seems we are heading into the peak season for grilling. And time perfectly for that is the start of Firemasters on Food Network Canada and streaming on Stack TV. It airs here starting at uh, 7 o'clock on Sunday night. The host of the competition series, Dylan Benoit. Dylan is a Canadian-born chef and culinary entrepreneur, the owner of many ventures, including the only butcher shop in the Cayman Islands. Well, the Cayman Islands is where he lives Thanks for joining us, Chef Dylan Benoit. Chef, tell me about uh, who we're going to see in the upcoming first episode of Firemasters. Absolutely. The chefs on on Firemasters are all very well-trained and uh, highly skilled chefs. They come from a variety of backgrounds. So some are are restaurant chefs, 
Some are more barbecue chefs, pit master style. Uh, some come from catering and, and, you know, private chef backgrounds. So we get chefs from a variety of, of different skill sets, um, but they are all professional chefs, and, and they're all very, very talented. Okay, so they know their way around the kitchen, but being a top chef, that doesn't, from my understanding, necessarily mean, you know, the barbecuing, you know, the grill, and all the skills that go with it, Right. You're absolutely right, Bruce. This is the thing. You, you take these chefs that are, a lot of them very decorated, either own their own restaurants or are high up in restaurants or have their own companies, and uh, you put them in the Firemasters arena where they've not only got the clock counting down and their other competitors next to them, you put a camera in their face and uh, and surround them by live fire. It, uh, it you know, it, it can take over uh, even the best of chefs, and it can be very, very overwhelming. So uh, chefs have to have a very calm head, They've got to be great with time management and being able to master the temperature control of their various cooking apparatuses. That's that's what it really takes to excel in the Firemasters arena. Okay, temperature control for sure. That's something I have never mastered myself, but I'm not even good in the kitchen, let alone the grill. So what is the most important skill grill chefs really need? Yeah, the temperature control is always the biggest thing. When cooking on a grill or live fire, whether it's gas or charcoal, you know, um, every adjustment that you make when it comes to temperature, it's not quite as reactive as it is in, uh, in a traditional cooking environment. So, for example, if you want to turn up the heat, add more heat to your grill, if you're using a gas grill, it's not so bad. You turn the dial and it comes up. But if you're using charcoal and live fire, you need to add more fuel, add more charcoal, add chunks of wood. You know, and it takes a while for that, for that heat to build up. And if you want to cool something down, it takes even longer. You've got to spread the ashes, move uh, your, your whatever you're cooking over to a more indirect uh, heat source rather than having it directly over the coals. So it's a completely different environment and set of skills that you need when cooking over live fire. For sure. We're talking with Chef Dylan Benoit and the series the competition series is called fire masters gets underway on sunday seven o'clock our time on it's going to be on the network um the food network food network canada and streaming on stack tv seven o'clock our time um now dylan you know your way around the kitchen but you must have uh some inspirations and uh, people or places that you look up to to get some of your ideas tell me about that i think there's there's three things that kind of inspire me. One is, is travel. I've done a lot of traveling, been to a lot of places and seen a lot of incredible uh, ingredients and cooking techniques and, and met incredible people and had incredible dishes. So that's something that I always draw on and, uh, and I'm very fortunate that I've had the opportunity to do that. Um, another thing is the products themselves. When you have incredible quality products, it's very easy. It's uh, very easy to be inspired, right? Uh, if you're working with, you know, bagged soup and hollandaise sauce that comes in a packet, it's very difficult to be inspired. But when you get prime quality cuts of meat and fresh vegetables that are either locally grown or straight from the garden or whatever the case may be, you know, fresh seafood that comes right out of the ocean, you know, that it, it's easy to to get really creative and say, how can I? How can I accentuate and highlight these ingredients without masking them or, or uh, adulterating them, right? So that's number two. And then number three is, is the, the people, the, the customer at the end of the day that's getting to enjoy this food. You know, there's, it's a very unique relationship being able to cook for somebody and then, and then having them enjoy it. You know, there's, uh, it's, it's nourishing 
not only your body, but your, your mind It's nourishing your soul. It's nourishing conversations and relationships with other people at the table. So, you know, between those three things, the travel, the ingredients and the people who enjoy the food, that's what keeps me going every day. Well, when you say that your experience really does show through and let's see if the competitors have uh, some of the similar feelings or rules or things to guide them. Uh, what are we going to be looking for as the season starts? In the first episode in particular, there's there's a lot of story behind the chefs that are competing as well. So it's not just about what they're making, it's why they're there and what they're doing it for. So I think people are going to tune in in this season. We've got a lot of those kind of backstories that, that really inspire um, the chefs themselves and then you know ties the viewer in as well. And, and you realize that there's more on the line here than just you know bragging rights and $10,000. Oh, Dylan Benoit, thank you very much, Chef. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Enough is enough. That's what a lot of people have been saying, not only in light of the attacks on public transit, two buses in April in Surrey, actually the same route, 503. We had the other attack at a public, um, well, SkyTrain station in New Westminster. And so many other attacks that we're hearing all over the place, knives being a big issue. And it's not just now. This has been happening for weeks and months. But it seems to me it's getting a whole lot worse. And as much as we talk about this being a problem around Metro Vancouver or the entire lower mainland, it is a BC problem. There are cases of similar violent attacks in almost every community, every area around the province. What's going on? That's kind of one of the questions that Colin Middleton, who is a president of the Nanaimo Area Public Safety Association, has been asking. And uh, he's actually saying enough is enough, too. And he's got something in the works. Colin, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, enough, enough was enough a long time ago. I know. And when I say you've got something in the works, it is a bit of a public safety rally that you think could happen province-wide? Yeah, so on Thursday, April 27th at noon and um, a few other times in the afternoon, citizens fed up with crime and public insecurity are demonstrating. We are sending a message to our provincial and federal elected officials and public servants across the board that will not stand for an action, poor results, and unsafe conditions in our homes, businesses, and public spaces in B.C. anymore. Now, you're in Nanaimo, but this is going to be taking place in a whole bunch of cities, communities right across the province. Tell me about some of them. 
Yeah, so we've got um, we've been reaching out. We started uh, a number of months ago putting on rallies in Nanaimo, and we've been uh, starting to get uh, communication with a number of other groups throughout the province. So we've got uh, eight or nine uh, cities signed up so far uh, for that date. Uh, Victoria will be on the lawn of the legislature. That's the Vancouver Island Safety Group. Uh, in Surrey, the Surrey Crime Prevention Society with One Voice Canada. Um, there'll be Penticton, Clean Streets Penticton. There'll be Citizens Take Action Dawson Creek and a series of grassroots uh, movements that are being supported by some of our friends in the interior in Prince George, Kamloops, Cranbrook, and we're hoping to get a whole bunch more. What is the call to action here? What do you want? You mentioned the provincial, uh, provincial and federal government. What can they do? Well, I mean, this is a grassroots, I'd call it, it's a moderate movement. And, and we're demanding that our elected officials and public servants, really of all political stripes, address what is essentially um, three overlapping social crises all happening at the same time. We have um, a mental health and addictions crisis. We have a, a uh, housing and affordability crisis. We have a judicial system crisis. And the, the net result is a public safety emergency. And so we need our elected officials of, of across party lines, provincial and federal, and, you know, to a lesser degree municipal, but really this is provincial and federal. Um, we need them to understand uh, exactly how bad it, it is out here. And um, we know that they have the authority uh, to, to make changes, particularly with respect to um, federal policy or federal uh, law, such as the Bill Reform Act. We, we know that um, our, our provincial leaders have a lot of um, influence um, in or to to uh, get uh, resources that are necessary to protect the public and to get people who need um, uh, treatment for mental health addictions into care. We know that the province has um, the resources necessary to get people into housing and to organize them appropriate and to allocate the funding um, in, in a way that actually helps the people who are most vulnerable and gets them into a situation where they're not going to be exposed to um, violent repeat offenders, uh, drug dealers who are, who are um, pr- uh, uh, taking advantage of people in, in vulnerable positions in, in these SROs and in hospitals and, and, and on the streets. I mean, this is, this is, a, this is the, um, uh, the combination, the confluence of, of, these social crises and there's no time anymore. Like we don't, we don't have time for platitudes or, or kind of empty, um, you know, commitments to work together in the future. I mean, this has to happen now. And so that's why we're saying enough is enough. I agree, Colin, but uh, you use the word uh, platitudes, uh, also uh, empty commitments. I would use the word speaking points. And every time I hear a leader talk, They're saying, you know what, if they heard you right now, they'd say, you know what, Colin, I agree with you. You're right. This is what we're doing. And they'll list off a whole bunch of different programs that they're Mm -hmm. trying to bring in to help with mental health, to help Mm -hmm. with increasing policing, to do this, to do that. And yet we're still in the same situation. And And that's where the frustration comes in. Yeah. And it keeps getting worse. And there's a number of, of um, things that are going on right now 
Um, there are the outcomes of the Cullen Commission on Money Laundering and Organized Crime. There is the Stanford Lancet Commission that was that came out regarding uh, profit seeking in the addictive, publicly supplied addictive drug industries. Our, our elected officials, yes, they say they're doing these things, and yes, they're allocating funding to to well-intentioned and well-meaning uh, advocacy societies and and, um, and, and get, getting in, involved in these contracts with pharmaceutical companies and so on and so on. But the fact of the matter is, is that the, 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 the resources are not getting to where they are needed in order to actually address the public safety emergency. The people that are on the streets um, are not getting long-term solutions. They're not getting the kinds of care that they need. They're basically offered, you know, harm reduction and safe supply and a shelter for a night, but they're not actually structurally getting integrated uh, socially again. They're not getting the the support from the community um, and and the the support from the government in terms of what what that what is better for them. You know what can they what can they actually do to to provide the social services, the wraparound service? You talk, you know, all these different things that people say that they're that they're doing. But it's it's by the time it trickles down to the street level, there's almost nothing left. Colin, I hear the passion in your voice, and I know that there must be a story behind how you became involved in this. Very briefly, what is that? Why are you well, so connected to this? Well, you know, I my family and I moved to South Nanaimo um, two years ago from from uh, Calgary, and uh, my wife grew up on Vancouver Island, and and this was we wanted to be on the coast to raise our our two young boys, and um, we got here, and within one month we had somebody who overdosed and died on our property, and then several not a couple months later we had somebody break into our property and steal $5,000 worth of stuff, including a guitar that I used to use to, to um, in a punk band to help raise money for uh, mental health and addictions uh, uh, treatment services. And so like the, the irony of all of that made me kind of start to wonder, well, what is going on? Like, how would I actually be able to, you know, help this, you know, help the situation here in South and I will improve. And that took me down a, a you know, quite the, the rabbit, hole and got involved in meeting a a number of neighbors um, who have been experiencing, um, you know, rampant theft and vandalism and and, uh, unsafe conditions in their businesses and homes over the course of the last, you know, couple of years that we've been here. And I mean, we love this city. We love the the being on Vancouver Island and and we love the province. But, you know, there's all of these things that are, you know, in order for us to find, you know, more peace and safety and security just in our neighborhood. You know, I've had to get to this point of raising my voice and trying to find to get our provincial and federal leaders to be accountable for what they actually say they want to do. Colin, I suspect that there are a lot of other people that are going to raise their voice and have similar stories. Maybe they moved to different locations expecting a, you know, a better life and uh, came in contact with what is definitely not a better life like your example hope to hear from them as we take some calls in the next uh, segment here but uh colin um those that want to get involved in the public rally you've got some information uh, a website where are they going to 
Yeah, so, I mean, our, our group, the Nanaimo Area Public Safety Association, we're just NanaimoPublicSafety.org. But the rally, this, this provincial rally is being organized through Facebook. It's a public uh, Facebook group. It's called Enough is Enough, April 27th, 2023. You can just look that up on your search bar in Facebook, and you should be able to find us. It's growing quickly. We've, Like I said, we've got eight or nine cities already signed up. I'm constantly talking to people that want to organize. This is a grassroots, moderate movement. We're not interested in violence. We're not interested in vitriol or discrimination. We, we believe that these social issues are policy, um, uh, that have policy solutions. We, we don't think that this is a partisan issue. We, we know that at a population level, um, as a province, we believe that there are pan-partisan solutions, and we need, as a public, to uh, expect and demand that our public servants work for the public that pays for these services. Okay. And that's what this is about. I appreciate your time, Colin. So far, it's uh, still kind of sunny outside, and I know there's rain in the forecast for the weekend, but let's just hope that some of that forecast is overstated. And, uh, you know, maybe we can get outside even into our own gardens and uh, kind of get everything looking nice as we're still in the early parts of spring heading into summer. It is National Gardening Day and a reminder that, uh, you know, gardens can do so much more than just be pretty. In fact, you can even use gardening to improve seniors' health and well-being. That is what's happening at one long-term care facility in White Rock. Kelly Bessling is the Community Relations Director for Amica in White Rock. She joins us now. Kelly, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Now, tell me about the relationship between uh, people who are in long-term care, I guess, and uh, and the gardens. We're very fortunate to have 8,000 square feet of rooftop gardens at Amica White Rock. So we've got quite an interactive program with the three different uh, neighborhoods of retirement living. It's amazing. We've got ocean views and like raised garden beds. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that whole area around White Rock, uh, I know my mother's in long-term care in White Rock. It's a beautiful area. Uh, you can see Mount Baker from some of the vistas and uh, certainly Semiamu Bay. But you get the gardens in there? That must be magical. What do you know when you see people who are living in long-term care go in to take care of flowers? It's actually quite a magical um, experience because every week we're planting, you know, different flowers and such. It's something that their families can also get involved with and all of our team members. It's something that's so nostalgic. We've likely been doing it most of their lives. So it invokes all those great memories. It also is enriching their mind, body and spirit and reducing, you know, stress, right? When you're out there in the garden, there's butterflies and it's incredibly peaceful. Where did the idea come from, and how long has it been going at Amica? When Amica uh, designs their residences, they really build it with the neighborhood in mind. So it was quite intentional, knowing that most of our residents are coming from large properties. So they made sure that these rooftop terraces are, like, all residents are able to access them. So right when we opened, uh, about three and a half years ago, the beds have been there, and it's things grow really well. We've got lettuce and kale and apples and herbs and tomatoes. So we're able to utilize it also in our kitchen. 
And our chef is quite delighted to be able to serve up fresh, you know, rooftop to table dining with Amica. Right. So mm-hmm. you're able to use uh, many of the different things you grow into, I guess, wonderful and very fresh meals. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially the tomatoes. We love a good bruschetta. Um, what is the reaction from families or from the people living in long-term care? Are you able to quantify it somehow or just get a idea um, by changes uh, that you see in their health reports? Um, that's a good question. And I'm, I help uh, with the folks that are sort of moving in with Amica. So I wouldn't see the health reports, but I definitely do see how um, an example, one resident moved in and noticed we had a lot of lavender and she was able to actually start to do programs with the lavender. So it's giving us all a sense of purpose and she's, you know, got the drying system set up and she's actually teaching programs, one of our residents. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So it's everyone interacts with the garden differently. You know, you get a lot of different experiences, and my uh, my understanding is when you have a long-term care facility like that, you're going to get people from different backgrounds and different locations, so they bring mm-hmm. in different skill sets and appreciations. Absolutely, and we do have our independent living as well as our memory care and long-term care, so each neighborhood in their calendar of recreation programs would have different special programs in our garden, so... It's quite a range of offerings that we have at Amica. Nice to hear, and thanks uh, for sharing that with us, Kelly. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m., on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.